0: 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode for Give the Boys a Great Big Hand, the 11th book in the 87th Precinct series, which we did in our main episode and we discussed such matters as the weather, the hilarious clothing choices of men in the 1960s in urban suburban, (laughs) and tried very hard not to reveal the ending because it is good. So we'll do our usual thing of having a look at the different editions we've got. We've all got different editions today, so perhaps uh, Morgan could outline his, because I think you've got the the winner of uh, good editions. Um, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm pretty happy with mine. I've got the, the, the good old uh, green spine Penguin Crime Edition, th- three shillings and sixpence. This is the 1965 edition, I think. So sadly not the TV Boardman one, which I think would have had a much more lurid cover. But, but it's the um, first Penguin edition, first isn't it? Penguin one, yeah, that's right. And it does have a, a rather nifty sort of photo collage. Alan Spain. Alan Spain, indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, with a, a, a great big hand, as one <laughs> would imagine, with, with a, a little kind of rainy cityscape uh, between the, in the space between finger and thumb. Mm, yes, brilliant. I
0: do like those photos. Yeah, it's yeah, so, the, there's something weird about that photo collage technique it's Mm. almost like you look at that you you don't necessarily see that that's a hand to Mm. start with as well it just looks like a color and then you start to see it all come together it's sort of rough and ready but intriguing at the same time yeah it's a a bit of classic sort of 60s penguin design it's it's really nice yeah Mm. definitely is and it would have cost three and six in paperback oh here's a point before we get on to the other two books the original tv boardman edition of these books were hardback editions, The Bloodhound Mysteries, and they were 12 and 6. I spoke to my dad, having been alive during the (laughs) pre-decimalisation period. I asked him whether that was expensive, really. So in 1962, when when the TV board manager came out, it would cost you 12 and 6. I asked my dad, I asked a couple of other folks as well, and they reckon that's probably what it was about for a hardback book. That's not unusual, it's not super expensive, not super cheap. But actually... From what I gather, it's, relative, it's quite an expensive oh. good. It's quite an expensive item to buy a hardback book yeah. because the paperbacks were, like we see here, like mm. 2 and 6 and 3 and 6. So the difference between how much a paperback cost in the early 60s mm. and how much a hardback cost is much more than the relative difference in the costs of them now. Yeah. It's look quite
2: expensive hardbacks now, though, the, are the, they? The
0: yeah, but they're yeah. not like... 10 times more no expensive. no like no. twice as expensive yeah, or three like times maybe yeah so say a new a new paper a new hardback might be 16 quid maybe and a paperback would be 8 quid so it seems like yeah paperbacks were much more accessible and and pocket money not pocket money necessarily mm. but you know a lot easier to afford and paperback and hardbacks were a bit more costly which is funny because it's very hard to work out. The edition I've got is a Penguin edition, but it's from the nineteen seventies. It is from It's a reprint from nineteen seventy-seven, and it costs sixty p. Now, sixty p. is nothing uh-huh. nowadays, but it's very hard to understand really inflation in in terms of not just doing the sums and, and going onto a website and saying how much is sixty p. then now, uh-huh. because it doesn't really tell you about the state of like inflation in, uh. in big, broad terms and stuff like that. But I suspect 60p was probably still quite cheap. Mm. Yeah. But the addition I've got is the one what? with the precinct mm. badge 60. on it, my favourite, uh. the cityscape in the background, and the extremely literal hand-in-a-bag. <laughs> That's what it is. They didn't really overthink it, let's put it that way. <laughs> what about you, Steve-O?
2: Mine's the, um, the quite new Orion... I remember I had quite a few of these. The nine, uh, 2004 Orion, which has a, a palm print of a very small hand on the cover. Wow. No. Which is a bit strange.
0: Well, what else is on the cover of that? And then some, I think it's supposed
2: to be the airline bag. But I don't, I don't know. not
1: much like an airline bag, does it really?
2: It says, oh, like a document holder. I don't which know. It seems to
1: have some hair in for some reason. And some like plasters. I don't know. It's a Let's bit have of,
0: a look yeah that's yeah, really? cause it's like got a case number on it so it's, it's
2: like a docket like, oh I
0: know what it is that is an evidence bag uh. containing some of the black clothing that they have found
2: ah, in oh, the see. book
0: but you would have to do what I just did which was sit and work it out
2: <laughs> yeah it's a bit strange cover that
0: it is it's got that font on that they use on all the Orion books as well which I have seen mm-hmm. In some of the some of the new Doctor Who stuff when that oh. came back in 2005, I'm pretty sure they used that font for some things. But that's just me knowing those sorts of weird things. So you've got the newest edition, I've got the second oldest, and Morgan's got proper. Steve, you've got to give Morgan's edition a sniff. That Wrong. looks like it'll smell gorgeous. I <laughs> yeah,
2: don't know, remarkably old. Not, not,
0: not as musty as it could be. Give no, oh, right. Well, that's a bit strange, isn't
2: it? Yeah, <laughs> slight order
0: slight odour uh, I was trying to say something then I couldn't think of anything I think also yours has obviously got the updated
1: um, uh, dedication it does, I think yeah. it's slightly different to, to the standard one that he, he put in all the rest of them
0: so the dedication in the ones we've got Morgan I imagine are to Phyllis, Phyllis and, and Rick, Rick. All Phyllis and I Rick. tried to find out who they were but it's quite hard to just look up Phyllis and Rick and hope uh. that you're going to find something <laughs> on the internet Phyllis and Rick So yeah, Phyllis and Rick are either just sitcom characters. (laughs) Yeah, they could be. It does sound like that, but they've left no internet trace or none that I can find. I'd like to know who they were because it's just interesting. But there you go. Fills in a bit more about that. Yeah, the
2: the overlords have covered the tracks.
0: Definitely, they've been raised from time. So we had a a couple of listener questions. One that pertains to the eighty seventh precinct in terms of what we're doing, which uh-huh. is from our friend Stella. Hello, Stella. Asking if anyone's made a timeline of the 87th Precinct. Because if you're doing a reread, you, as she says, you can see that the early books are only months or weeks apart, but obviously the things like having kids, Carella's kids, uh-huh. are only teenagers by the end in a series that's yeah. run from 56 to 2005. We've talked about it a little bit before, and she's saying there's anyone done a timeline. And I think people have, and I think there's some... You can, if you hunt deep enough on the internet, mm. you'll find something.
2: I kind of started, but uh, well, as yet incomplete. I, I the the yeah, because you can kind of chart.
0: Yeah, um, you can do it, and it can be done. And the only person I know that's done it in a published format uh, is I've got a book in my hand, which is the Boys from Grover Avenue by George N. Dove, which does have a proper attempt at doing the timeline, although. He has to make some... A chronology, that's Uh. a better way of describing it. He makes some changes around to try and get things to fit, Uh. I think. Suggests that certain books are before others. But the problem is, of course, that was published in 1982. Uh. So Mm. (laughs) the series carried on until 2005. So it would be something I would like to put together at some point. And the thing is, though, it would require me reading ahead so much (laughs) that it would... It would drive
2: me completely mad. Perhaps we'll cobble together one towards the end of yes. the after we've done a sufficient number. Because yeah. at the moment they're kind of just running on in uh, in almost real time, aren't they? They are. You yeah. know, because yeah. of the frequency of these books kind of matches when they would have been. It's obviously when time starts to yeah. stretch in, yeah, like into I say, the sixties. Like
0: I said in the main episode there's three books in the published in the series mm. in in 1960 alone, but after that he starts to slow down a little bit. Mm.
1: So he's not kind of representing several different seasons of the same year necessarily, but...
0: Yeah, and then by the late 70s, the 80s, you're more or less getting one a year, mm-hmm. aren't you? So, and, yeah, the time-stretching dilation thing in terms of human beings is just... You're never going to be able to reconcile it. You have to mm-hmm. just live with that That world.
2: It's like the... the um the sherlock holmes canons like famously full of contradictions and mm. yeah the only way you can make sense of trying to put them into some sort of chronological order is the fact that um, dr watson must have been married twice
0: <laughs> yes you have uh, to and yet, retrofit it don't you
2: yeah because it, it just doesn't work if if you make the assumption you're only ever told about one wife but they just don't make any sense unless you accept he was married twice yeah. which is a bit
0: Mad. It's amazing mm. you know, because obviously it matters so much to fans. Oh. But if you were as an author were trying to keep track of that, you'd, you'd just be spending all your time going, "Oh, but I can't do this, that, and the other." Yeah. And there's nothing you, worse than the idea of stifling your storytelling yeah. for the sake of saying, "Oh, but I, he was supposed to be in Peru in that year, yeah, or yeah. whatever it is." Yeah spotted too really anything so far no I don't don't think there's anything Um, contradictory in in the 87th Precinct timeline yet anyway
1: there may be the odd thing and then obviously there are things that he has to update to make it just make sense to the reader reading whichever particular book it is because yeah you can't keep when he's writing in the 80s he's not going to keep referring back to people's military records in the Korean War necessarily
2: yeah, so, he, so he just shifts which war they fought yeah, in. Doesn't absolutely, he? yeah. Like that little thing. things like because
0: that. Lieutenant Burns is, you know, we hear about him as a young patrolman in some early books and it actually gives you specific dates mm. in the 20s or 30s or something. Yeah. So it can't possibly be, you know, the same guy. But of course it is because it's the magic of literature. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Talking about magic and it's a magical season because we're recording this in December. This Ooh. is our office Christmas party at the moment. We are covered in Christmas cake crumbs and full of pudding.
1: Absolutely.
0: But we have a question from uh, a long-time listener and person who is just somewhere else in the same house as me at the moment, Lorraine, who wants to know... uh, I can't wait to see your faces. If the 87th Precinct were to stage a version of A Christmas Carol, who would play whom? (laughs) If what? So, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, the classic Christmas story if you had to transpose our characters into it, like the Muppets did, who would be who? See, that's it. It's, very, it's a tri- I don't tricky know. question. It's its almost nonsensical. <laughs> who would be the ghost of Christmas past, present and future? Who would be Tiny Tim? Who would be Bob Cratchit? Who would be Scrooge? Would Scrooge be Andy Parker and they're trying to... Um, perhaps,
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't,
0: honestly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, of course, he did do a Christmas book, an illustrated kids-style one, didn't he? He did, Of yeah. the 87th Precinct, which we're not going to get round to because, canonically, it doesn't turn up for another <laughs> 25 years or something like that. So it, we'll might, it might it. even be later than that. It might be in the 90s. which We'll
2: get to it eventually.
0: Which might actually be the answer to this At question. Moment, At the moment, I'm going to guess that maybe...
1: Birkling, due to his relatively young age, is going to be Tiny Tim. Oh, bless uh, his little blonde face. Is Cruella going to be um, Bob Cratchit?
0: I would have thought so, I think. The man in the story who's affected by the things going on around him. It's very difficult. I would like to know who would be the boy that Scrooge tells to go and buy a large turkey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or is it a goose? I don't know, in the original Dickens.
1: I, I, I know it mainly from ridiculous adaptations. I, I've actually read yeah, why. I
0: think we'll stick with the Muppets Christmas Carol, that's the best one anyway. It's a very good one. It is a good one, yeah. Or Black Adder's Christmas Carol. Well, which magnificent, is obviously. absolutely excellent. Yep. Especially for Nicola Bryant, the who plays his niece in it with the most screeching, terrifying laugh. <laughs> and I know who that is because she's in Doctor Who. Mm. Or was in Doctor Who. And she's great. So I just yeah, it's a very difficult question to answer. We've cast a few roles there. Yeah, right. Um, we'll we'll do a, you know, we'll come across one of the ghosts. In yeah. the thousands of years it's going to take us to get through this series, it's inevitable that at one point we'll do a Christmas-based book. You know, where a crime mm. takes place at Christmas, while we're recording at near Christmas time. So yeah. we'll go full Christmas then. I mm. Anyway, <laughs> as it's nearly Christmas, this is the present to that I'm going to present the present I'm going to present.
2: Is that what's in your box?
0: I've got in a locked in a mystical box next to me (laughs) something that I bought for myself, I must say. I couldn't resist this when I saw it on the shelves in a bookshop, in Leek, in Staffordshire. I say a bookshop, I mean a charity shop. It was four books for a pound. I only bought this one book. I could not leave this book on the shelf. Okay. And when I present it to you, you'll see why. I'm going to pass it over, and I'd like Steve-O to perhaps describe it to the to, to the <laughs> to the listeners. What
1: a...
2: Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: This looks amazing.
2: This, this does look amazing. It, it's, a, um, it's a book, and it's, well, Roger Moore and the Crime Fighters. <laughs> and there's a picture of Roger Moore, and then below it... I don't know, some children, a child being grappled, a, ch- a child pointing to a policeman, and then a policeman with a sniper rifle. So, well... The
1: siege
0: by Malcolm Hulk. Yeah, the siege... Malcolm Hulk, I'll
1: tell you about Malcolm oh, Hulk. Oh, oh, we've got more
0: on
2: Malcolm Hulk. Oh, That's yes, how definitely. All right, OK, so Roger. So there was three, with a further three in preparation.
0: Amazing. Illustrated by Ray mutimer as well i don't know anything about Ray mutimer well wow. well some of the illustrations in this book basically it's a paperback book it's a children's book by the writer malcolm hulk who's a author and writer of tv screen plays screenplays tv you know tv yeah. stories and <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: <laughs> was just reading this it uh, it's the seeds the african of the the, the visa off it of the African Republic of Walinga.
0: It's a children's story that is... I don't want to say it's... It's got dubious treatment of race in it. Mm. Uh. But basically, Roger Moore's name is on a series of books where a bunch of kids solve crimes, starting with this one that involves an African embassy, but also involves <laughs> involves someone trying to disguise themselves by going to BBC TV to claim that they are being an extra in an episode of Doctor Who that's being filmed to try and infiltrate... I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I've put two little two little markers in there, Steve, as so you might want to look at them. Roger Moore appears in this book as a character.
2: Cool. As,
0: well, as himself. Those two markers represent oh, where, where Roger Moore first appears. Well, and he's to... suspicious of stuff.
2: Can you help Mr Moe, the heavy-jowled man was saying. Roger Moe's casual jacket had a small herringbone pattern, the type that confuses a television camera's electronic eye. Well, there we go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I am awfully sorry about this. I only just got off the plane and had to rush here for an interview. Well, this lo- does look good.
0: So. And what's even better is it's completely misprinted. <laughs> so. so there's, it ends on page one hundred and fifty six. Oh yeah. But if my then it goes
2: back to one hundred and twenty nine. My little
0: tab in here, it's pages one hundred and twenty nine to one hundred and fifty six are printed in the book twice, <laughs> but there's no page ninety seven to one hundred and twenty eight. Oh no. So I've managed to buy a book from a charity shop that stars Roger Moore and a gang of children crime fighters. Oh, this is the book where they're put together as a, as a team of crime fighters. Wow. That has been misprinted, but includes the sequence in the, set in the BBC with Roger Moore printed twice. Well, you
1: know, it's the bit you're going to want to read, isn't bit it? You want. So.
2: Well. <laughs> crikey. What
1: a
0: terrific find. I mean.
2: The Wallingan Embassies, is the um, under siege.
0: It's terrifying in a way because who would. Did this happen? Did Are there books by other people? where they just... Other film and TV stars where they just appear in them as themselves? <laughs> <laughs> who came up to him and went, Rog, I've got a proposition. What,
2: what, uh, what year so is this? Familiar, 1977.
0: Well, I'll tell you about Malcolm Hulk who wrote it. And oh. the reason, one of the reasons I bought it, apart from the complete ludicrousness of it being a oh. book about Roger Moore and some children fighting crime in an African embassy...
2: Same year as The Spy Who Loved Me.
0: The... The best Bond film. Mm, Indeed. Malcolm Hulk, I know the name because he wrote for Doctor Who. Uh, So this book that has a sequence where someone tries to disguise themselves to get onto a taping of Doctor Who. That would make sense. Which would have been at a period when he was writing quite a few Doctor Who stories Uh for John Pertwee, or was probably when he was writing this anyway. He... Wrote some of the target adaptations of his stories. as He wrote for Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee. He wrote Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which famously has these terrible (laughs) rubber dinosaurs attacking (laughs) London, being brought there with a weird time machine. Brilliant. And he also wrote Frontier in Space, which is a six-part political epic, (laughs) which runs into another Dalek story afterwards. Mm. And So I saw the name. I thought, I've seen that name before. And then The Siege, Malcolm Hulk... You turn the book to the front, and there's Roger Moore looking out from a photo inset on the front. Mm. Fantastic. So if anyone knows anything about these books, then please do a
2: podcast about those.
1: Please let (laughs) us know.
0: (laughs) And in fact, the Doctor Who references keep coming, because not only does it someone try and sneak into the BBC pretending to be an extra on Doctor Who, one of the kids has a dog called Dalek. Mm. (laughs) So there you go. That's my yeah. super treat well, I well, it
1: is a super treat. Well, and well done, and well done to the incredible Mal- Malcolm Hulk as well.
0: I wonder whether he was asked to do it, or he originated the idea. Uh, yeah, I'd like
1: to imagine it's just a, 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 something he was really passionate about.
0: Yeah. So I, I can write this story, but I can only write it if it's got Roger Moore in it. <laughs> <laughs> not James Bond. No. Not another spy character, um, or a made-up actor. Roger Moore is essential to the plot of this. Absolutely. A man with North Sea hijack in his <laughs> eyes. Yeah, Are there any sequences where he
1: arches an eyebrow? I certainly hope so. I imagine I'd so like to, to have that described to me.
0: He is described as very handsome. Well, naturally. And they're not wrong. they certainly not wrong. I think it's, I've lost... Adolf
2: Hitler gets a page on 88.
0: Roger Moore be- beats <laughs> up Adolf Hitler. It turns out he was alive all along. (laughs) I brought him to my interview at the BBC.
2: The white man's mind is very strange. They believe all sorts of nonsense. Anyway, this helped Adolf Hitler 2,000 years later because the Jews weren't very popular.
0: I think Malcolm Hulks tried to incorporate quite a lot of political thought into this children's book.
1: Mm, In a... a less young, than
0: sophisticated manner by the sounds of things. Yes, I think it may be a little clumsy to read these <laughs> days.
2: In 1934, something wonderful happened for Hitler. A young Jew whose relatives had been put in prison in Germany went into the German embassy in Paris and shot dead a German diplomat. This gave Hitler the excuse he needed. The following night, his support had turned up... Bloody hell. <laughs>
0: Doesn't say bloody, bloody hell in there. <laughs> Roger Moore, turn to the camera. Bloody, bloody hell. hell. <laughs> what I'd like to do is to get our friend Rob Charnock to read an audiobook version of it yeah. and do Roger's voice, because he's quite good at it, isn't he? He I'm is. Just, yeah, that'd be a good just
1: whole episode of the
0: podcast instead <laughs> I of talking about... Am gonna, well, you know I don't like to spoil books, but I'm going to read the end of the book, given that there's 35 missing pages out of it. <sighs> but after the rehearsal, everyone went to the television centre canteen to have tea before making the actual programme. Bonnie, Darren, Bill and all their parents pushed two tables together. To Bonnie, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> To Bonnie's amazement, Roger Moore came over to speak to them. Hello, he said pleasantly. <laughs> I'm Roger Moore. <laughs> I know, said Bonnie, her face burning. You kids did pretty well, he said. <laughs> and Dalek, said Darren. Roger grinned. Yes, and Dalek. So I've got an idea to form a club called the Crime Fighters for kids like you. Do you mind if I pull up a chair and tell you about it? <laughs> so Roger Moore's forming the... gang, so you can get kids together. Amazing. <laughs> just send them out to do the work of the police.
1: Yeah. One of whose face is burning, and he doesn't even think to put it out.
0: Operation, U- <laughs>
2: Operation Tree would probably be very interested <laughs> yeah. in that book. If I might just send it to Scotland <laughs> Yard. <yeah.
0: laughs> oh, Lord.
2: <laughs> this may assist you in your inquiries.
0: Oh. If you want to know where to find it, you can... Well, he's even put the address because you can join the crime fighters yourself oh right wow. you wow. too can be a crime fighter get a badge a free newspaper and a chance to meet Roger Moore wow join the crime fighters club free by filling in the coupon and sending it to crime fighters everest books limited Four valentine place london se1 if you have borrowed this book from a library copy the coupon onto a piece of paper Roger wow. tear I don't know will never know Please enrol me as a <laughs> member of the Crime Fighters Club and send me a parcel of goodies. I've got my parents' permission. Cool. I wonder if he ever did meet the Crime Fighters uh, and how well, many people replied. Yeah, I would think I'd like so. Imagine, well, I, I trust were
1: legions of them.
0: Yeah. And that's why there was no crime in the UK between 1977 and the disbanding of the Crime Fighters (laughs) Club.
1: Literally none. Did you ever see George Lazenby forming a crew of, like, pre Crime Fighters?
2: Timothy Dalton's Traffic Wardens. (laughs) You know, like...
0: Marvellous. Yeah.
2: Piers Brosnan's Brosnan's Lollipop (laughs) Ladies. Piers
0: Brosnan's (laughs) Copyright Theft Investigation (laughs) Unit. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah Don't think so
0: No Daniel Craig's done
2: nothing Yeah
0: Absolutely He's not interested
2: Daniel Craig's Vat evasion <laughs> Troop
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh lordy B
2: Do you want to be a <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the coupon
0: Customs Send to Customs and excise Whitechapel mm. Oh dear Well there you go So that's of all of the strange little sideways leaps we've taken, I didn't expect that to be the one that I'd be talking to you about today, but I found this book and I felt we needed to... Well, I needed to share it with you, my good friends, and I felt we needed to share it with the world. I
1: think it's worthy of discussion. And I'm <laughs> glad that we've
0: uh, glad that we've taken a look at that. Okey-doke, I think we'd better leave, <laughs> leave the listening public to more sensible things by saying goodbye like this. Goodbye like this.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye, like this.